You're listening to the Gonzo Back to the Future specials. I'm Alex Shaw. This is Back to the Future 2. Welcome back. This week I have Neil Taylor with me, and we're joined by James Bachelor of Game Burst. Hello. Hello. You know that uh, Monty Python sketch with AJ Gumby, the dude with the knotted handkerchief on his head that goes, yeah. My brain hurts! That's the general response we got to show one on this one. Why am I not surprised? I was telling you that during the episode. I know. I, I found that out right in the notes for the episode. Um, but it, it had to be said, and I think we, we probably le- went a little light on the actual details of the first film. So we're going to really focus on on the actual second film and, and you know some of the making of, of aspects of it and uh, more of the detail. So first question, gentlemen, let's jump right in. What order and where did we see the Back to the Future trilogy? I think off the top of my head, I saw the third one first. Perfect, makes sense. Why? <laughs> then I saw the first one and then the second one. Okay, that's even more mental than my way. I saw it one, then three, then two. Uh, That was a simple case of my father wouldn't spring for the tickets to the second one. But we managed to wheedle and talk him down for the third one by the time that came around. Nice. I did exactly the same order as Neil. I started off with three, just because I think it it was one of those Saturday afternoon movies, and I had nothing to do, and it mentioned time travel, so I thought, I'll give it a look. And then I tracked down the other two, and I watched the other two in order. One and then two. Yeah. Okay. I suppose, so no, none of us saw it three, two, one, because that would have been very confusing. <laughs> but you know, I mean, ultimately, I had to pick up a lot. I mean, not as many as you guys had to, but I had to pick up a lot of threads of what happened in two. I, I, I it's actually explained pretty, pretty fairly at the beginning of three, and, and I was able to sort of get my head around it. And I recognised the end sequence from Back to the Future One when you know when the DeLorean goes back to uh, 1985. And uh, so I, I sort of tied it together. I just didn't get why Marty was back again. See, I just, I just sat and went with it. I had, no, I had no idea what the film was going to be about. I knew nothing about, you know, time-traveling DeLoreans, or I didn't know they were going to end up in the West. All I knew was it's a time-travel film called Back to the Future Part 3. And the only time-travel film I'd seen to that point was H.G. Wells' The Time Machine, like the old version. The original version with the Eloy and the Morlocks? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, not the Samantha Mumba version. No. Was it? No. I take it then you hadn't watched Star Trek 4? No. Voyage Home. I don't, I, I don't think I've, I still haven't watched Star Trek 4. A film I saw about time travel the other day was Millennium, and I never saw that when I was a kid, although I saw trailers for it on TV, and I finally saw it. It's cack! It's utter shambling cack! It doesn't make any goddamn sense at all. I'm not even going to go... I'm not going to dignify it by going into it, but it makes no sense at all. See, that's what I like about these. Like, these these do make sense. Like I said, I watched three, and yes, you're right. There are a lot of references to two, like um, Jennifer going on about the facts that I picked up in the future. Mm. Yeah, that confused me. And then the race and Marty's hand, and yeah. Yeah, the Marty's hand and the race and all that. And Marty's bit at the start about, oh, of course it makes perfect sense. We have to come back to get a book from Biff, and the Biff from 1985. And in his panicky... Yo, I don't know what's going on, but I'm just going to spout it out as in the first order I think of it because that just about covers it. And I just sat there and just like, yep, yeah, okay, good, right. So all <laughs> Who's I Biff? Just, who's Biff? Yeah, it's like, 
I don't know. But the stupid thing is, was it like you guys? Mitch's not like, even in this until the very, very end. I know, I know, it's mad. And like the the, the great thing was like you, you guys sp- said last week that you're like the one character who doesn't get as much credit for Back to the Future. Everyone remembers Marty. Everyone remembers Doc. Biff for me, like you know, you guys were going about how great a character. If I ever watch like one of those eighties films, like I only this summer saw the original Karate Kid. Oh my God! Yeah. I know. Sweep my, the leg. My ignorance knows no bounds. I only this summer saw... Wax on, wax off, mofo! Indeed, <laughs> indeed. Paint the fence, sand the floor. Um, but uh, Or, I, no, slightly better now. Jacket on, jacket off. Put your jacket yeah, on no, the floor, pick not, it up. That's not better at all. That's not better it is better, all. it's better. No, it's not. It's, no, it's better. Not better at all. No, it's Coming not. soon to hang, a Gonzo game. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Anyway, Jack. my oh. point is, when I first watched that, and you've got the thug that... Um, little Danny what's-his-face has to beat. Oh, that blonde kid, that Nazi. The blonde kid. I he's didn't rubbish know... compared to Biff. He is, but my point was, he's the Biff archetype of that film, mm. so I just referred to him all the way through as Biff. Biff, yeah. Or if uh, if you've watched the, Star- uh, the South Park episode, uh, Aspen, Stan Marsh, more like Stan Dorsch. He's basically, you know, any kind of school bully, usually got a witch father, not in Biff's case, but, uh, you know, odious kid makes the, the hero's life miserable. And the hero still rises to the bait. I mean, even Draco Malfoy does that. Yeah, Draco Malfoy is kind of uh, is the new generation of Biff. Hmm. probably gets the shortest of shrifts of the series as with most middle movies it has no beginning and no end but in the same way that I like Godfather Part 2 The Empire Strikes Back, Spider-Man 2 Aliens, Evil Dead 2, X-Men 2 Terminator 2, The Bourne Supremacy and currently The Dark Knight, best of their respective trilogies, is that this can be considered a strength as well There's no half-hour explanation of the world or equally drawn-out closing of the series. We know the characters, the science, and what can happen, and all of these films hit the ground running to meet our expectations and deliver us the expanded world version of the original. In fact, first sequels get a bum deal in general, and I believe the good ones should be celebrated for not simply remixing the same elements of the original in a slightly different setting, a la Ace Ventura when nature calls. In fact, the original plan for Back to the Future 2 is going to be alarmingly similar, with Marty going back to meet his parents in the 60s yet again, and capture the flavour of that era. Events unfolded that meant this couldn't happen, as we will discuss shortly. I love this film, don't get me wrong, I really do love this film, it's awesome. And watching it again the other day, it's like, you know what, I, have, I need to watch this more regularly. Mm. But it, it's always going to be the weakest of the three for me, because... And maybe because I watched three, then one, this will always be the Brilliant. how one becomes three. Uh, it is the how Doc got lost in the 1885s. See, that's um, interesting, because to me, it's the strongest of the three. No, it, I just... In technical terms, in, just in, in terms of like the strength of a story, of right, here is a straightforward story about a kid getting lost, it makes much more sense that one and three would be considered strong, but there are so many interesting ideas explored in two, that oh, it makes absolutely. it, scientifically speaking, even though it's mad science... The most interesting, and it's, to, to it's me, the, the best. To that, for that, it's reason. the most ambitious in terms of how oh, yeah. it uses time travel, which is what I love. And you know, I, the risk of comparing it to Doctor Who, the Doctor Who episodes I prefer are the ones where there's a lot of time travel in the episode. It isn't just a oh, we're in mm-hmm. the future. It's oh, monster of the week. Have you seen the girl in the fireplace? 
Yeah, exactly. Well, that, that was my first ever episode path. of um, Doctor what Who. That was best. that was how I got into Doctor Who, the girl in the fireplace. That was genius. Um, the Blink. Blink was brilliant. Oh, Blink. And that's the one of the ones that doesn't even feature the Doctor all that exactly. much. Exactly. But it's the complex time travel. And on that regard, I absolutely love Back to the Future 2. It's so clever. You're dealing with the future and, you know, the standard future and trying to solve timeline problems. You've got an alternate reality. You've got a tangent going, universe, as it is. A tangent, yeah, a tangent universe, sorry, technical term, tangent universe. And then you've got the going back to earlier events and avoiding paradoxes and trying not to. And I absolutely love that. I think my problem is it. It all feels a bit rushed. I mean, the director, was it Robert Zemeckis, admitted that he didn't want to spend too long in the future. So that bit's rushed. I, I'm fine with that. But then, it, I don't know, perhaps compared to one and three, one and three spend a good hour and a half in each of their time periods. Mm. So it's an hour and a half in the 50s. Yeah, there's much more of a, a sense of, of, of when. In exactly. It. There's a lot more of a sense. This is half an hour future, half an hour 1985A, half an hour 50s, you know, and that's it, it's done. It feels a little too fast-paced mm. compared to the other two, which I prefer. It's very important to point out that aside from Star Wars, blockbuster trilogies just hadn't happened yet in 1989. Godfather 3 was a year away from disappointing audiences everywhere. Alien 3 was three years away. Army of Darkness was four, and the notion of entirely superfluous bog-standard fourth films to make more money whilst killing the franchise was but a glint in Batman's eye. Back to the Future changed all that with a very significant step in film production. They shot parts two and three back-to-back, with a teaser at the end of two to wet folks' whistle about the final instalment and prevent them from kicking off over the lack of real resolution, something that even by Fellowship of the Ring, audiences still couldn't grasp because some people are just stupid. Matrix and Pirates of the Caribbean followed suit, making the release more of an annual event that would keep people talking about the story, something Harry Potter is doing as we speak. On lower-budget films like The Twilight Saga, it's been an incredibly efficient way of ensuring that the wave of popularity is continuously peaking and that the actors remain consistent. The one series I wish would adopt that tactic being Narnia. But like I said, back in 1989, it was unheard of. The original Back to the Future cost $19 million and took $381 million. Part 2 cost $40 million and took 331 And Part 3 cost another $40 million, but only made $244 million, as we can only guess that the Western theme, or possibly the confusing science of Part 2, drove away $87 million worth of cretins. Either way, a combined taking of nearly a billion dollars for an outlay less than $100 million makes this a phenomenally successful and popular series overall see i i love that the, the, the two of them were filmed together you know like parts one parts two and three were filmed together back to back and they worked and it is in my opinion the one time it has worked you said to yourself you know like it was like pirates and matrix have done the same thing and it doesn't work because they've tried to stretch one story over two films yeah in this case it's the it's the davy jones saga in matrix it's well it's just more matrix stuff no it's the final war of zion which it's uh, the final war of zion exactly yeah and they they've because Back to the Future Part 2 had a cliffhanger, mm. they've then thought, right, well, that means that's halfway through the story. But it wasn't. Back to the Future Part 2 was its own self-contained film. And it, you can watch any of these on their own without needing to watch the others. And that's the beauty of them. You know, most time travel things are so complicated, you need to know everything that has happened, past, present and future. But because they're so well written... You don't with these. That's why you're able to watch three, then one, then two, or three, two, then one, then three, or whatever. Or do you watch them in? Maybe, but in all seriousness, watching Back to the Future 2 on its own 
I could not imagine watching just that one as an adult. As a kid, you take a lot of things and you go, oh, right, okay, and you piece it together. As an adult, you're like, I have not a fucking clue what's going on at this point. But especially when they go back to 55, you don't understand the significance of so much. Yeah, that's true. Okay, uh, maybe may, maybe not with two. Of the three of them, two is probably the least likely to satisfy an, uh, an audience of complete newcomers. Yeah. But more so, but it's still it's still well, a stronger yeah. film. I don't remember my father. He must have seen one once, but I don't remember him knowing much about it. And he enjoyed three a lot. Mm. Well, three is is more self-contained. Yeah. Has the resolution not only of the of the story that goes from two and two three, but the the resolution of all the arcs from one two and yeah. three. Yeah. But without actually three doesn't require the other two as much as as two requires one and three. Yeah. Yeah. And one obviously works perfectly well on its own. Interestingly enough, I, I don't think I mentioned this. Did we mention it last week? That the University of blah, blah, blah has put Back to the Future in its collection of films to be preserved for all time. No. Yeah, well, it, it has. Just the first one. No, just the first one. It's like, oh, no, no we're not going to deal with any of that bollocks in two and three. But, you know, the first one's good. The, the thing about preserving movies forever is really interesting and somewhat morbid. It's effectively safeguarding them against total, you know, world annihilation. If, if aliens come down, there'll be this vault that's automatically cooled with a generator that will survive for, let's not, let's face it, not forever, but for many years after if we all suddenly die. And they'll be like, oh, what are all Oh, back to the future. Nice. See, you've watched <laughs> far too many Hollywood movies. You instantly picked aliens. I don't know. Alien, okay, fine. Advanced androids. Things, zombie apocalypse, come on. Things that live in the the space between spaces. <laughs> Interdimensional no, beings. No, back. no. Okay, what if magnets <laughs> come down? No, I tell you what. Giant evolved magnets. When, when I was Christmas shopping, I was in H&V and they were showing that film, Indy. the one that I, that, that film that shall not be named. Indy 4. On the, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. They were showing it on Blu-ray on a disc. And I oh, stopped fine Blu-ray and one to buy, definitely. I stopped and watched it briefly. The car chase, the vehicle chase through the jungle, and for a brief second, I felt myself think, you know what, this wasn't so bad. You were right. And then I felt, so. I felt dirty, and I walked out. <laughs> and then you self-flagellated for several minutes. <laughs> yes. Okay, right. We'll do a whole episode on the indie series, but uh, yeah. Meantime, all three of them. Yeah, no, all four of them. Now the uh, you passed. <laughs> Let's look at what Bob Zemeckis had to do to open the film. The whole first act of Back to the Future 2 is a knock-on effect of the ending to the first film. Lines and events that seemed like fun at the time then had to be followed up on. The whole first scene had to be refilmed shot for shot with a new actress playing Jennifer. Claudia Wells, the original, had to drop out of filming because her mother had become ill, so Elizabeth Shue came in to replace her. And then they were kind of stuck with Jennifer, so immediately they knocked the poor girl out and used her as a MacGuffin for a significant part of the film, rather than work on characterising her dealing with the concept of time travel. Uh, on reflection, probably a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> probably a good idea, and actually well handled. Yeah. Given how bad that could have been, yeah. and how badly that would have been handled by lesser filmmakers, that was quite good. I'm minor ignorance moment. I didn't even notice it was a different Jennifer. 
Oh, God. That, well, that when did you notice? It, when someone told me. Oh, my God. When we, how old were you? Well, I, bear I was, mind, Jennifer's only briefly in the first one. Yeah, but well, yeah, she's a different actress. Uh, yeah, but it's, it was years between me seeing one and then two. Check out YouTube. There is a, a comparative of the uh, end of Back to the Future 1, the beginning of Back to the Future 2. It is so skillful the way they weave in existing footage with newly filmed footage. It is it's, it's really it's well. It's timed exactly well. At the same time. There's a few extra bits in there. Middle-aged Biff comes out of the house and goes, Hey, Marty, I've got to, uh-oh. And he sees the uh, DeLorean taking off. Um, like DeLorean? What the heck? What the hell is going on here? It's, it's, it's a brilliant way to both finish and start a movie. And yeah. It's quite interesting. I don't think it's... I only know of one other movie that is doing something similar. But um, it's quite... I don't think I've ever seen anyone try and do that. Do the sh- a literal shot-for-shot shot of a scene from one movie to place in, the, in another. Or it be in the next sequence. It makes perfect sense. And because it is done so well, it fits. Okay, well, well, okay go on then. Which Which is it? X-Men, the first class. Oh, really? What are they doing with it? They are doing a shot-for-shot remake of the original opening of X-Men. As in, oh, uh, oh, Eric Lensher in the the concentration camp. Interesting. 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 Mm. It'd be interesting to see that. I can't remember who's directing first class. It's Matthew... Vaughan? Vaughan, yes. Now, it's going to be interesting to see this done in the hands of a different director. I know this isn't quite... Back to the Future, but it is in essence of what Robert Zemeckis did with the. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. It's interesting to see. Now, Matthew Vaughn's a very skilled director, but it'd be interesting to see how someone else handles trying to do a shot for shot remake and how well that will fit in with the movie. Because, like James says, it was so well done, he never noticed it was a different actress. We went yeah, yeah. for it. But I should I imagine there's a few people out there that don't. Because Jennifer's in it so briefly, you just go, and especially with the gap between. If you have a gap between seeing one and two, you go, oh, yeah. That's yeah, that's Jennifer, and you don't think any more about it. Yeah, yeah. So the hair I, mean, I, I is notice it colour. now. I notice it now, and like the hair's slightly different, and the, you know, but the costumes are the same. I I noticed subtle differences uh, between like you know the the refilm, but I couldn't. I didn't know if that was my own fa- hazy memory of the previous film. And now I look back, it's like yeah, the, the timing and the the emphasis on certain words is ever so slightly off, but not so much that you can't just commend them for doing it brilliantly the other thing that is kind of different about the uh, the new jennifer elizabeth shoe clearly is going for a bit more of the, co- the old comedy timing there especially when she's in the mcfly household in the, in the future she's like wide eyes and flinging herself about the house she, she's like lee evans uh it's, considerably more attractive yeah but considerably more attractive and uh but but you yeah, know i'm not sure if the original jennifer could have done exactly the same but uh Again, I'd have kind of liked to see that happen, but it's, it's, she's not really a massively significant character. But I think they did the best they could with with mm. the Jennifer character. And the thing is, like, you know, she's she's the right level of forgettable. Mm-hmm. By the time you get back to 1985A, they put her on the porch and they go off on the adventure, and you don't worry about her. You don't, not in a kind of oh, she's completely in- insignificant because Marty does say, you know, I've got to go back to Jennifer and all that every now and then. But Doc but, keeps going, no, oh, Doc, the whole the timeline will change around her. Exactly, and you're so wrapped up in what Ma- Marty and Doc are doing that you don't worry. But I think Back to the Future Part Three, if I remember rightly, and I haven't watched it yet because I know we're talking about it next week. I, I think he um, he suddenly goes, oh, wait, Jennifer, she's still on that porch. And Doc says, don't worry. And that's just to remind you that she's there. Mm. But she's not intrusive. Yeah. 
So Hill Valley of 2015, rather than the lovingly recreated and palpably real eras of 1955 and later 1885, was more of a collection of gags and a hapless projection of what the movie folks thought life would be like in the not at all distant future to us way back in 1989. So what to expect in the future? Oh, I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> Gentlemen, I have a list in front of me of everything we can expect to be invented or even make an unexpected comeback within the next five years as we reach the magic date of 2015. How many can you name? Hover conversions, hoverboards. Yep, flying traffic um, and hoverboards. Dust Control. repellent paper. Oh, actually, I forgot about clothes. dust repellent paper. Yep. Self-adjusting clothes, self, uh, self-drying clothes. Yes. Yes. Power lasers. Yep. We How want them. <laughs> I can't because I can't remember the number. The abolishment but of all lawyers. Nineteen. Nineteen. Thank you. So we've got another. Ooh, it's like fifteen to go. The abolishment of all lawyers. Ah, I forgot about that one. Yep. The justice system works swiftly. The weather system. Manually controlled weather. Yep. Yep. Okay. Oh, by the way, Jaws nineteen in three D. Like that. <laughs> like that's going to be still around. In, oh, well, wait a they got one part of that. <laughs> like, it was directed by Steven Spielberg's son, apparently. Robot waiters. Yes. Uh, actually, that was the Ayatollah and Ronald Reagan in the uh, body Michael of Jackson. Max Headroom, and indeed Michael Jackson. Because of course, Mike, the Ayatollah, massive in the eighties. Sleep-inducing alpha rhythm generators. Oh, yes, of course. Thumb pads on the... Thumbprint and voice-activated locks and electronic devices. Fax machines in every room in the house. Yes, a fax machine in every room in the house. Scenery channels. Yep. Uh, Televisions that do picture-in-picture. Yeah, not just that. Multiple channels simultaneously on fuzzy, low-res rear-projection TVs. Uh, a fruit bowl that lowers, and a hydrator where you can make a small like what that that Pizza Hut pizza that is the size of a kid's pizza yep. and suddenly becomes a family that face. That fascinated me when I was. A I kid. love that. That is awesome. Automatic dog walking machine. Yes. Oh, by the way, Black and Decker must have slipped them a Finsky or something because it's a Black and Decker hydrator, and there's other Black and Decker things around in the future. Yeah, but some of Pizza Hut. And Pepsi, oh, yes, on, Pepsi. Pepsi. Oh, Pepsi gave them so much. If, By the if way, they'd have found a way to get into um, the the, you know, the tavern back in 1885. I imagine they would have had a Pepsi. The oldy Pepsi. I think that would. The oldy Pepsi. I think it wasn't around till 1895 or something. So that, that otherwise they definitely would have. And people are like, I'm just drinking this new drink. They call it Pepsi. It's good for what ails you. Um, <laughs> weird new bottles for Pepsi Perfect, even though they got like the old those. 80s logo. I like those those new bottles. I want the new bottles. Hot neon coloured clothing, rather like we wore in 1989. Yes. Actually, James, uh, you'd have been how old? 1989. I would have been three. Three. So you remember all those hot neon clothes? Yes, <laughs> they were still yes. around for a good couple of years after that. So like um, wearing bright the- lime green and bright pink and bright yellow and basically, if you look at a packet of highlighters, that mm. is what we look like in 1989. Judging from... Uh, highlighters what, uh, in a denim pocket. Another <laughs> <laughs> uh, one. Judging from what um, Doc sees through the... the well, the, the binocular things mm. we start. But judging what you see through those, the complete worldwide renouncement of the bra. Ah, yes. 
Oh, actually, speaking of which, I mean, if you're talking about electronic displays, um, giant video chat, which we do have now, plus stats. So it'll say, you know, James Baxter oh, yeah. likes hamburgers and Pizza Hut uh, while I'm How talking to you. I don't know. Just, just That'll be in the next guess. iteration of Skype. Yep. <laughs> or, or Xbox Live. Uh, the persistent popularity of newspapers. I know print is going out of fashion now, and we should all be using giant iPads in, in 2015, but apparently USA Today still on paper. USA yes, Flying Cameras. Um, also, not just uh, hoverboards, pit bulls. If you want to work on water, you're going to need yourself a pit bull, a jet-propelled hoverboard. Hey, McFly! You bull, Joe! Those bots don't work on water! Unless, unless you've got, got power! Cybronic implants. Implants. <laughs> of course. TV glasses for young Martin McFly Jr. The soundboard that one of the henchmen wears. Which makes chicken noises. Which makes chicken noises. I think you could probably get one of those these days. That's the extension of all those um, soundboard apps we've all got on our iPhones. Indeed. Uh, Anything else? Now, guess what's not in the future? iPods. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Mobile phones. Apple at all. Communication advancement, basically. No one ever guessed that. In all of these sci-fi films, no one goes, oh, you know what's going to be big in uh, 2010? You, iPhones. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but you look at any future movie, they never get it right. No, there's always fucking war. Right, or utopias like Demolition Man. I, I quite like that, um, that the future is so wrong, because, yeah. you know, it, it, it's just, it's funny for a start, but also, like, you know, when you, when you compare how much had changed between 1955 and 1985, mm. it's not unreasonable to think that we'd make a little bit more advancement than we have yeah. between 1985 and 2015. Yep. What have we done in the last 30 years? One of my favourite movies regarding, over again. regarding the visions of the future is actually Children of Men, because it's a film that has sweaters and flip-flops and bathrooms and dogs. And it's, it, there is a very good reason why everything's ground to a halt, but it also really genuinely does seem like the future and very, very real. Because they augment it. They, they give us the, the, the mundane, and then they just add a little bit extra. So it's yeah. like you're just driving along in the car, and there'll be like an electronic display on the inside of this otherwise normal car. Oh, speaking of ele- augmenting electronics, uh, according to Goldie Wilson III, his dad's still running from, uh, for re-election as a, a mayor, the son of Goldie Wilson I, um, it costs thirty nine nine ninety nine ninety five for a hover conversion of your old car. Where the shipping tits did Doc Brown get $40,000 legitimately? Time machine. No, 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 because he would not, he wouldn't, he he could not abuse his abilities. He'd be like Spider-Man, never stealing money. Well, no, maybe, maybe. Briefcase full of money. Yeah, no, he's got some money, but that's not 40K. That's several hundred dollars. Maybe he went so far into the future uh, no. that the dollar no. had um, no. basically become worthless like the oh, – well, like, not All worthless, right. but right. I, I, very I, low value like the yen. So like yen, you have to no. spend like or so. No. <laughs> no. All right. About it this wouldn't even be the same print. It'd be like, I'm not taking these dollars. These say thirty fifteen on them. How about this then? He just had a bank account and he went back to it. The oh. interest over the <laughs> – Oh, <laughs> Yes. I like that. Try in the uh, like the second, like the fifth episode of Futurama where he ends up buying, you know, those anchovies where he, he, he had like a dollar fifty in his account, and then a thousand years later, it's, it's several million dollars. Yep. Yeah, you know what? That isn't uh, a uh, an abuse of power, and that is actually that makes perfect sense. Well done. Thank you. 
40k hover conversion that's cheap at the price as well i love also the fact that just like in the fifth element even if you're in a flying car you still got a queue you still got to be in traffic jams you still got to avoid other motorists it's not like you're just whizzing around in the air willy-nilly with no particular direction you're still you got to follow the road all they've done is raised the road up yeah (laughs) makes no goddamn sense so in my uh sci-fi that i'm writing i had no flying cars originally it had flying cars i've taken them out See, I thought it was the rule. All futures must have some sort of either self-driving cars or flying cars. cars. Yeah, in all seriousness, self-driving is more realistic because you want to give people less responsibility, not more responsibility. I don't trust people in cars. Imagine if everyone had to get a pilot's license. (laughs) Oh, God. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so while we're at it, how many items can you name that were on sale at Blast from the Past, the retro 80s style and actually whole 20th century style uh, souvenir shop? Both. The Almanac, obviously. Well, yes, the Grey Sports Almanac, 1950-2000. The Black & Decker Dustbuster. Yep. Wasn't there, like, there was an old video games console, I don't know if it was a Spectrum or an Atari or a Commodore. It was a Magnavox Weekender. Okay. (laughs) I looked at that window and I thought, I wonder how many things are in there that... I paused it. I was gonna. You knew I was gonna ask you this kind of pedantic, ridiculous question. Sadly, I didn't. (laughs) I I gave you way too much credit. (laughs) You learn. You live and learn. I do. Okay, cuddly Roger Rabbit, directed. Yes, I remember Roger Rabbit. Yes, directed by Robert Zemeckis. Perrier bottles. Can we still get them? Yeah, I think so. But I suppose they were eighties Perrier bottles with eighties water. Uh, Dragnet on video. (laughs) The tanks, <laughs> Dan Aykroyd comedy, uh, Black and Decker clothing iron, a Black and Decker dustbuster, Jaws and Jaws two. They appear to be some sort of computer game. It's difficult to tell what. Um, I'm not acquainted with the antique computer. They do have a Mag- Magnavox Weekender, but they've got a computer screen thing to the left of it. It just says antique computer. Someone else can probably tell me what that was. I um, thought it was an Apple II, but I'm not it sure. It might have been an Apple II, actually. I was going to say it might be an Apple. They had a copy of Burger Time in there as well. Uh, Happy Faces, which are basically those little smiley guys. They had a JVC CRTV, or a Japan Video Company Cathode Ray Tube Television. These last two are particularly funny. They had a Super VHS camcorder, the exact same one that Marty used to uh, show Doc the footage of himself in 1985. And nice. right next to it, Marty's jacket. <laughs> I never noticed that. Look, I never noticed left. that. Top left. Nice. I have to go back. The one thing that bothered me about that shit, that, that shop. That shit them. shop. Because <laughs> it was I, just I, a bunch of crap, yes. That, I, that I, it would have been eBayed, flea-bayed years ago. It was, it, uh, the thing across the window, antique coins accepted. Do you know any store today that accepts antique coins? <laughs> yeah. Only your granddad keeps antique coins. Yeah. No one uses antique coins. And, and why would we in the future when we have future money? Ah, well, antique coins are worth a lot of money. Maybe that's why it said it. Depends on the coin, I suppose. No, it's, it's so that Marty could afford the almanac. Oh, of course. Oh, of course. Well, no, surely he could just thumb 100 bucks because he's got the same thumb as uh, other Marty, real Marty in 2015. Maybe. I don't know. I know. Cause that would have been interesting. Just, he's like, ah, I don't remember buying a sports almanac. Oh, wait. A, now I suddenly just, do remember buying an almanac. <laughs> That's if weird. You could just, if you could just thumb money away, then why did Doc give him change for a Pepsi? So that he wouldn't arouse the suspicion of Marty in the future. Mm, touche. Yeah, indeed. Guy named Griff, just say no. One of the kids trying to play Wild Gun Man is... Elijah um, Wood. <laughs> 
And clearly, Microsoft's Kinect proves phenomenally popular in the next five years because controllers and any other handheld device are now merely toys for babies. Ah, yes. It's also interesting that the only arcade units you will see these days in 2010 in your average scratchwood services are cabinet driving games and... Cabinet Lycan games. Exactly. So clearly those are all going to explode in the next year because this kid, this kid's like, my dad taught me about one of these. Eagle-eyed viewers will also see a Pac-Man unit in the corner with the sign, Priceless Artifact, do not touch on it. Oh yes, I did notice that this time around. Current price on eBay in America, about $800. So buy now as a five-year investment. <laughs> Soon become a priceless artifact. And in the tradition of Billy Zane, one of Griff's gang named Whitey was played by an actor who went on to make a little something of a name for himself. Go on, then. Jason Scott Lee. Oh! Star of Lilo and Stitch, the live-action Jungle Book and Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. Blimey. Where he played the titular martial artist. Which, which, which of the henchmen was he? He's the guy who has a little bit of a beard and is Asian. Oh, that one. Yes, that makes sense. I assumed it wasn't going to be the girl. Yes, but who has, I never noticed until I finally saw it on Blu-ray, a really creepy red eye. Yeah, I love that it takes the talons the best part of 120 years to befriend females. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and she's such a ladylike lady as well. What's wrong, McFly? You got no scrote? What's the bed? That isn't actually a friend. That is a tannin. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Ooh, I don't know. The prospect of a female tannin is just too scary to comprehend. Okay, well, I give you Gertrude Tannin. Griff's. Yeah, exactly. Griff's grandmother. I'm going to get my car, Grandma! I don't know. I, just, I, watched, I watched it again, and just hearing her shout from the... Um, the and you carry back! And, and not seeing her, she, it, she felt like the precursor to... Um, is it Wallowitz's mum from Big Bang Theory? Maybe so. I was thinking uh, Mrs. Bates. Oh, yeah, that's actually it's Biff talking to himself. <laughs> Are you coming back, Biff? I'm going to get my car. I'll, I'll be back when I get back. And she's just a corpse in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we got off on a dark little tangent here. A very scary place we're in now. The old guy who lurches up to Marty, imploring him to thumb a hundred bucks. A hundred bucks donation, I might. Who is that? Because that's been bothering me I'm every time I tell you. you. you shut your mouth for ten seconds. I know, I'm, 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 I'm waiting. Okay, right. He implores Marty to save the clock tower. It apparently still hasn't been saved in 60 years. Despite not actually having a clock that runs. He actually turns up later in the film as a younger man. Is he one of Biff's associates? Sort of, yes. His name is Terry, and he's the mechanic that fixed up Biff's car after it was filled with D. Jones' manure for the first time. Ah, okay. There's a deleted scene where actually I seem to remember that old Terry looks at old Biff and goes, Oh, he ripped me off. 60 years ago. Yeah, okay. Because he's got the rubber face on. A lot yeah. of people in this in the future have rubber faces, and I assume they're older people. You'd like imagine the, that plastic surgery would get better, not worse. You would hope so, wouldn't you? I mean, could, give that a like, Doc's, Doc's plastic surgery is quite good. Doc's plastic surgery, I didn't notice until he pulled his face off. Yeah. Well, no, that's actually because at the end of Back to the Future 1, they had aged up Christopher Lloyd to make sure that it was 80s Christopher Lloyd and not yeah. 50s Christopher Lloyd coming back, so people wouldn't be like, wait a second, how come... 50s Doc is back 
So they had to then go like, unless he's going to spend the whole of the next two movies in makeup, let's have him de-aged. Yeah. Oh no, I, I recognise that, and I like that. I li- that was a nice touch. Mm. And again, it does he actually basically peel off the actual makeup as well? Yeah, it, it does. looks like it. Yeah. It also, does. I never noticed this until I saw the Blu-ray. But when he goes, "What do you think?" There's a little bit of what looks like snot hanging out of his nose. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, "You look great, Doc, except for that bit hanging out of your nose." <laughs> well, I was going to say, of HD. <laughs> what I was going to say is maybe in the future, you know, going back to how. All- older people have rubbery faces maybe there's some sort of outbreak of palpatine's disease <laughs> hey. so weak. on that note the second two back to the future films up the ante of the original which saw young actors tackling roles at two stages of their lives by having the character meet and interact with older or younger versions of themselves or indeed their extended family played by the same actors so in quick succession we get 77 year old biff being yelled at and manhandled by his 17 year old grandson griff and the foppish, wimpy George McFly-style Marty Jr. seamlessly replaced by his more confident father. Later, Zemeckis goes all out, throwing three Michael J. Foxes into one scene for dinner at the McFly house, 17- and 47-year-old Jennifer meeting, 77-year-old Biff meeting his 17-year-old self, 1985 Doc trading words with his 1955 counterpart, and in Back to the Future Part 3, Marty having dinner with his great-great-grandfather Seamus. It certainly wasn't the first time this had been done. I think it was in, in Star Trek. Uh, but it was playful and inventive, and it put as much focus on the long-standing interplay of the McFly and Tannen families with surprisingly minimal cast. I also tell you what a weird family they have. Yeah. <laughs> In and out of each other's business. The, well, Don't even start like... on the fact that uh, Marty's great-great-grandmother looks exactly like his mother, which shouldn't make any sense at all. It does, it does in casting terms. Indeed. What I was going to say is, how come... Biff is the only one that can meet himself without fainting. Because uh, young Biff is so stupid, he doesn't work it out. Uh, he just thinks he's a crazy old man. I, also, because the paradox that Doc warns about aren't as dangerous as you think. Given like, okay, like, so Jennifer just passes out, but she's less prepared for any of this. Old Biff has gone back with the the intention of meeting his younger self, so he's mm. more prepared for it. The young one, like you say, is so ignorant. And just the whole, I was listening to your, um, your episode last week when you found about the, the one river, the self-healing one river timeline. Mm-hmm. Uh, it uh, accounts for smaller paradoxes like that. Yeah. That's how, as much as Doc was panicking, I think he learned from Jennifer that paradoxes aren't that dangerous because he was then able to have a conversation with himself mm when he accidentally goes into the um, Hill Valley Town Square. See, I love that bit, because as you see that. him talking, it's like he's remembering what this stranger said to him. He's like, five-eighths? Uh, don't you mean three-quarters? I always think that really, he remembered I, I, doing that experiment, so he remembered he needed a three-quarters. Uh, three hmm. It could I, be interpreted either way, actually. It can, it can, but I, if you go with that, then you're going with the whatever happened, happened theory, mm. which means that he was always, always going to bump into his older self and go back, and etc. It's just the way he delivers his lines that seem like, um, as he says them, he's like, okay, hang on, I'm suddenly part of a cosmic interplay that has to happen, and as yeah. I recall, it has happened, so what did that guy say? Ah, yes. And, uh... Either way, he just, um, he just, he lightens up, he realises that the that smaller interactions like that aren't as dangerous paradox-wise. Mm. And even, you know, because you know, he doesn't want to be recognised and he does the whole pulling the hat around his, himself and, like, walking really low. But at, one, but at the end, he looks directly into his, old, you know, his younger self's face. Mm. Albeit the younger self is looking away. Yeah. But he looks... And, you know, 
if, if paradoxes were that dangerous, then he wouldn't do that. Also, specifically, 55 Doc knows about 85 Doc and his time-traveling stuff, right? And he's yeah. a he's a genius. And he may be scatterbrained, but the bit where he sort of looks back and uh, this old guy who just walked off going, or in the past, uh, and he's like... Yeah. Huh? And I think basically at that point he was like, you know, if that is actually me from the future, I'm not going to mess with that. I am. Because yeah. obviously, if, if I wanted to interact with myself, I would have done it. But I didn't. So, yeah, there you go. He's not a, he's not a, he's not young Biff. Aside from the constraints laid upon them by the finale of the original, one other major element directed Bob's Zemeckis and Gale in the crafting of Back to the Future Part 2, that of the exodus of Crispin Glover. Details are a little spotty as to the how and the why, but what appears to be the case is that Glover held out for the same amount of money as Michael J. Fox made, rather than jumping at the chance to resume the role of George McFly for their given price. He apparently seemed disinterested, so the Bobs had to let him go. And they then set about writing a story in which George McFly was dead and the nightmare scenario that would create for Marty. What they came up with was, in my humble opinion, one of the greatest sequel ideas in the history of cinema. To be able to use their unique opportunity to explore the ideas of tangent universes and then go back to the events of the first film from another angle, broadened and expanded the fiction, no matter how loosely based in science it was, of Back to the Future. And while we've sometimes got expanded scenes like Gandalf's battle with the Balrog in The Two Towers and Jason Bourne's window interplay with Pamela in The Bourne Ultimatum, never before or since has a follow-up movie gone back to the original time and place with displaced visions of the hero character and depicted additional and altered events around them. It's also one of the few mainstream films to look at what happens when your timeline is unbalanced and affected by events in the past. Again, Donnie Darko, which even references the original Back to the Future, is a perfect example, although it works the other way around. The nightmarish alternate version of Hill Valley must have confused the shit out of audiences in 1989 until it is explained by Doc with a simple diagram that makes everything so much easier to understand, even if it does fail to take into account the two tangent universes they've already created, Lone Pine and Just Say No, principally because the effects were beneficial to them. It's also important to note just how well they did without Crispin Glover, just using body doubles and stand-ins. We still feel George's presence and importance throughout the movie. We just don't see his face, which is kind of symbolic. It is quite interesting, because until you point it out, I bet most people don't even realise it's not Crispin mm. Glover. Well, no, it's because you get to see upside-down old George. You're like, oh, that's George, and you never think to yourself, wait a second, I haven't actually seen Crispin Glover young and face-to-face ever in this film. It wasn't until after, well after I'd seen them that I found that out that that was the case, because, of course, there was no internet, and mm. rumours like that didn't get around. I didn't know, isn't he... 
Is it him at the end of Back to the Future Part 3, though, when the whole family comes oh, out of the house? No, it's not. Him? No. It's, it's not. No. No, that, that, that is really impressive. He's in the background. It's, it's, it's his body double standing at the back going, have you seen my sunglasses? Or something yeah. along those lines. I mean, the, the double or whoever it is does a fantastic impression of Crispin Glover. The one shot that it's impossible for me to work out whether it is actually him or not, and I'm, I, I'm sure I'd, I'd have been told if it was him, and they'd have paid him money if it wasn't a double. Uh, is the bit at the very beginning of Back to the Future 2 where he goes, oh yeah, everything's great to Jennifer and he t- turns and he sees his mum and dad h- hugging in the doorway and then they turn away and it's like, oh. I, I think that was from I, the previous film. Yeah, because yeah, I, say, I think that's from the Because that was actually an original shot and, and there are yeah. some bits of uh, of the film which feel like they are original footage and technically the bit where um, George young George punches Biff, they could easily have just used the bit from the original film. But... I think they just kept Crispin Glover's face directly off the screen. When they pick, when he picks up Lorraine off the floor, I know you don't see him, but that again looked like the original shot. It's because your brain fills in the blanks. It's just, it's a yeah. new angle on, are you okay? And at that point, at that point, my daughter who was watching it went, yay! It's, it's amazing. <laughs> the one thing I didn't buy though was the whole, Marty's a bit over the top with grief when he sees his father's dead. Because he's not really spent any time with his father. He didn't get on brilliantly with his father in the first film. Oh, but, but still, he has spent time come on. Spent, uh, uh, 1955. Oh, yeah, that's true, that's true. I don't know. Yeah, I yeah, that's, that's a good point. That's not the father that he knows that, that has died. I don't know. Well, I mean, no, t- oh, it's, it is still the same guy that he spent time with. It's just... Yeah. Oh, seriously, in the past week, he's got to know his father more than he ever has in his life. And he's just, he's been looking forward to getting to know Lone Pine, 47-year-old George. And so he's finally like, he's got a dad he can be proud of. So I completely understand why Marty would okay, yeah, no, completely said that way. Top. Said that way, I, retry, I withdraw my statement. I withdraw. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was playing Grand Theft Auto San Andreas yesterday. It's awful. And I can't believe people were um, talking about how great CJ was as a character. He finds out that his best friends uh, assisted in the murder of his mother, and he's like, oh, shit. Mm. Okay, I'm moving on. It's like, for fuck's sake, man. Show some emotion. To go back as well to the whole um, them filming uh, the whole, the the story from another angle. And, you know, so the original film done by the sequel from a different angle. Mm -hmm. That was pure genius and is one of the many reasons why I love the Back to the Future series Mm. and you're right it hasn't been done before or since although to me it feels like it didn't when was Bill and Ted was that before or after Back to the Future Part 2 after after okay because Bill and Ted do very similar things where you albeit in one in the first film Mm. I've only seen the first one but you see at the end at the beginning of the film you see themselves from the end of the film yeah yeah but then they did that in the original Back to the Future as well. If so, it's yeah, a whole right, story just... withheld in it's a one film, like so, uh, Prisoner of Azkaban, for example, yeah. it's, that's a, a perfectly well-executed time travel piece. Oh, yeah, and you're like, yeah. oh, you understand that completely. But it's not what this was, which is no. taking the opportunity to go back to it. It's just genius. Absolute genius. And it must have it. given the writers some severe headaches. Yeah, as well. yeah. <laughs> They must have had to sit down and watch the original film shot for shot thing, right, where can we put Marty in without having to refill? Because what's it, the, um, the part where he's uh, climbing across the stage while Marty is on stage mm. playing Johnny Be Good? Yeah. That looks like the original footage, just with the camera angle slightly changed, and they've inserted him in the background. Or is it not? Is that redone as well? That was redone. I think that was redone. So they could get the uh, angles on it. 
I mean, I know a lot of... But it, like I said, it's the magic trick. It makes you feel like they... I mean, they basically just must have had it and, and gone, right, okay, this is exactly the camera angles we took. Let's do that from a slightly raised position mm. and, and just raise it up so that you can see Marty at that point. And it, it feels like everything that happens around that... I was, I had to go back and check to see, well, hang on a second. Was there any reason why Biff's boys would not have been there ready to jump Marty in the original timeline? They... They bump into him and go, look at him, he's in disguise. And then they chase him into the, the gym. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been there. Mm. It, Marty leads to the point where leads them to himself, effectively. Yeah. And then deals with it. It's great. I, I love the little, the, the, the silly little things. Like, what's that, like when um, Marty bursts out the door and runs to go and meet Doc. And, and the, the new Marty, as it were, the current Marty, is behind the door and gets hit in the face. By himself. Like, <laughs> by himself. It's like they, they must have picked out all these little things and said, oh, then we can use this and we can use that. I just, it's inspired writing. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's, uh, also, it's fortunately not following uh, time cop rules, which is that if two uh, people who are the same, two no, versions no, of, your, of yourself it, touch, it. you turn to a giant wibbly mass and then explode, yeah. like Ron Silver did in that film. I hope we could get away without mentioning time cop ever again. But I have to. I think, didn't we do it last year? Quick as well. Yes, I thought I was Stop talking about, about time cop, Neil. You did it. You started it. <laughs> Okay, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Much better. <laughs> Let's right. talk about that. 1989, same year as Back to the Future 2. Oh, really? Interesting. Still not as much of a, of a huge major step as, as what they took, but uh, remarkably interesting timeline. Like, the whole idea of, like, okay, we're going to make a trash can fall on his head. Yeah, and it happens. You're like, no, oh, that's time must problem. work. Doesn't something like that happen when he's trying the to one- get his dad... To the let one... Abraham Lincoln out oh, of jail yeah. in yes. the first one? Yes, they do. Yeah, because yeah, that's where they start doing the whole playing with time. Which It's going to be a long time before we do a Bill and Ted uh, Gonzo oh, gaming. There's so many other films to do. That, that's the one Plus, thing we've got to let the time travel. Just people just um, let's let it lie for a bit. It's okay. I watched it once. Like, it's all right. But it, I, wasn't, I wasn't enamored of it as I am of Back to the Future. But the one thing I did think, you know what, that's quite clever, is the, okay, in the future we'll steal the keys and we'll hide them here. Yeah. We pick up, right now. We have the keys. We must remember in the future to steal them and put them back here. I love that. I love playing with time like that. It's determinism over destiny. Indeed. Doc says that if Jennifer sees her older self, it could create a time paradox that might destroy the universe. First of all, let's define time paradox. A time paradox is a situation in which the effect of an incident contradicts or eliminates the cause of that same incident. As an example, imagine that in 1990, 40-year-old John Smith goes back in time 30 years, finds his younger self aged 10 in 1960. Suppose 40-year-old Smith pulled a gun and murdered his 10-year-old self. Oh, God. <laughs> is that this the is, really the example you're going to use? No, this is from the Back to the Future FAQ. I didn't write this. Then 10-year-old Smith would never grow up to become the 40-year-old Smith. How then could 40-year-old Smith go back in time to murder himself? Thus, the effect of the incident, the murder of the 10-year-old Smith, eliminated the cause, the existence of the murderer. It's a horrible but, uh, but apt way of describing what a paradox is. A paradox, by definition, is impossible. In the case of Jennifer, the shock of seeing herself old causes her to faint. But what if young Jennifer had hit her head in a cement stair, suffering brain damage, and died? Then she would never grow up to marry Marty, they would never have kids, and Doc would never have had a reason to bring them into the future in the first place. And if Jennifer never goes into the future, how could she die in the future? Also in Back to the Future, if Marty had actually been erased from existence by never having been born, he would never have existed to grow up, go back in time and interfere with George being hit by the car. For the record, many scientists use the time paradox concept as an argument as to why time travel has to be impossible. Since time travel allows possibility of a paradox, and since a paradox is impossible, time travel itself must be impossible. However... 
In the Back to the Future films, time travel does exist. Thus, Doc Brown surmised that if a paradox were indeed to occur, the result could be a cataclysm of some sort. On the other hand, since a time paradox never truly does take place in the film, it could mean that there's some sort of self-preservation mechanism in the cosmos which prevents a paradox from ever happening. Perhaps then, this is the reason that both Jennifer's faint to prevent a potential paradox. So that's kind of an illumination of what we were talking about last week. What happened to old Biff when he staggered out of the DeLorean in 2015? The secret of the Back to the Future trilogy answer is, our intention regarding old Biff was that upon his return to 2015, he would be erased from existence because he had changed his entire destiny by giving his younger self the sports almanac. Probably Lorraine shot him sometime around 1996. After old Biff clutches his chest and staggers, the same symptoms that Marty exhibited in Back to the Future when he was beginning to be erased, we actually filmed him falling into the street and vanishing, and that was in the deleted scenes. And we previewed the movie this way. However, the vast majority of the audience did not understand it, so we decided to cut it out, leaving the answer ambiguous and subject to various interpretations. Beside the above explanation, you can believe that old Biff had a heart attack from the shock of time travel, or from flying the car, or from something that happened to him in 1955. I always took that as he, because he changed the, the timeline so much, mm. that version of old Biff didn't exist. The, uh, you know, the other version of Biff in the timeline that he, he had come back to, so when he comes back to the future, Almanac the ripple Biff. effect is already, tr- yeah, Almanac yeah. Biff, yeah. he's already somewhere else materializing at the same point. Yeah. So whether as, he died or lived, changes around him. whether he died so, or lived, he wouldn't be the same guy. Yeah. yeah he, right. Well, no, he, he just faded out of existence because he was no longer the Biff. Al Almanac was the Biff of the timeline, mm. as the timeline was changing around him, as it does Jennifer when she's sleeping on the porch. I'm actually really glad they didn't show him disappearing, because it kind of foreshadows what they're going back to a little bit too much. Yeah. So first-time watchers would be like, what the hell is going on? But if they've seen old Biff disappear, that might give them a clue. It wasn't needed as well. I mean, like, you can just it, it's just implied that, okay, old Biff is now not going to exist. Yeah. I See, when I was a kid, I just thought that it was old Biff was dying because he was literally on his last legs anyway. So mm. it was like, oh, poor old Biff. But anyway. But, uh, yeah, that makes much more sense. And when you actually see him disappear in the deleted scene, it's like, ah, okay. <laughs> when Doc and Marty are in Almanac 1985, Doc says they can't return to the future to stop Biff from stealing the DeLorean because it would be the wrong future. But if that's true, how did old Biff manage to get back to the same future that he left? Shouldn't he have come back to a different future? We believe old Biff did indeed return to a different future. Almanac 2015, which would have transformed around Marty, Doc, Jennifer and Einstein, just as Doc explains how Almanac 1985 would change into Storm 1985 and instantly transform around Jennifer and Einstein. This would happen after old Biff returned with the DeLorean. For this reason, we made sure that Doc had caught Jennifer and exited the McFly townhouse just before old Biff returned. Thus, by the time Marty and Doc are carrying Jennifer back to the DeLorean, there could be other residents in that townhouse, or perhaps the McFly still live there. It's just as believable that the physicality of the neighbourhood did not change as it is to believe that it did, so we didn't change it. We decided not to make anything of this idea, because this is one of those difficult time travel concepts that general audiences have a real hard time understanding. Try explaining this stuff to your mother and you'll see what we mean. A detailed explanation of it would have slowed down the story and most of the audience doesn't even think about it. That's why we made certain things ambiguous and left various things open for interpretation, in hopes that the possibility of at least one or two explanations would be better than a definitive explanation that you could find holes in. Let's face it, time travel is fantasy, so there's no way to prove anything. As filmmakers, we try to create a set of rules for our stories and stick by them and stay consistent within our little universe that we've created. I, I have my own interpretations of all events. Yeah, so I go guess for it. Yeah, I've, sure. If you say so, the word wibbly, 
I don't say <laughs> the paradox caused by Old Biff that I did that uh, you I didn't pick up on the one you came up with, but the one I was focusing on is Old Biff takes the almanac to the past, alters the future, which means that the time machine would never have been invented. Because Doc was in an insane asylum. Doc was in an insane asylum and his lab is trashed. Mm. Therefore, it should be possible to travel back in time and fix the timeline once they get to 1985. Yeah. I believe that the One River time, the, the self-healing process of the One River time stream mm-hmm. is the ripple effect, which you can avoid by traveling through time. So if we imagine, if we imagine the, the One River time stream as a river, and the ripple effect is a wave. You know like those bore waves when the tide comes in and pushes a wave of water up, yeah, up yeah. the river? By, fl- by travelling through time, you leave the river and you are immune from all effects. And then when you go back into the river, you cope with whatever. I also believe that the ripple effect only travels forward. So by travelling back from 2015 to 1985A, they've jumped over the ripple effect and come into the alternative universe. Right. But they've avoided being erased and you know all the changes there so when you're out of time when you're going through time you are immune to the ripple effect so basically yeah. as they travel from th- mm. from the moment that you hit 88 miles per hour and dematerialize mm. you are then immune from the ripple effect which would explain why marty uh, could exist in a reality where there should be other marty's exactly exactly right. and old biff when he leaves 1955 the ripple effect is slow by nature the you know time is complex and it takes a while to align itself it has mm. to take into account every conceivable factor mm. the butterfly effect and all that when old biff leaves 1955 he also jumps over the ripple effect overtakes the ripple effect getting to 2015 before everything has changed aj gumby has entered the room bear with me bear with me okay just can't I'm, catch I'm going to need a diagram. Head. I'm going to need Doc to explain this one to me. Doc, ex- explain it in a Star Trek way. Like putting too much air in a balloon. Magnets. Magnets. No, no. It's the only explanation. That's it, magnets. <laughs> it's the only explanation ever. Okay, no, no, that, that, that's all that's relevant, so I'll leave it there. Okay. When Doc takes Marty and Jennifer out of Lone Pine 1985 and brings them to the future, how can old Marty and old Jennifer, they're only 47, they're not that old, and their family even be in the future? Wouldn't their disappearance from 1985 instantaneously erase their future? To be honest, yes. This is according to Bob Zemeckis. It very well should erase their existence from the future. This is, in fact, the ultimate paradox of Back to the Future Part 2. We really thought about this one for a long time, but we finally decided that after the setup of Doc saying, something's got to be done about your kids, the audience would feel cheated if we went to the future and found out that they didn't exist. You could, however, argue that the existence of old Marty, old Jennifer and their kids in the future automatically proves that young Marty and Jennifer will eventually get back to 1985. The flaw in this reasoning is that Doc repeatedly tells us that the future isn't written. So why would this part of the future be written? Ah, but Back to the Future 3 may contain the answer to that question. After all, when Doc spots the tombstone in 1885 and sees the name of the photograph of the tombstone has vanished, but the date remains the same. He says, we know this photograph represents what will happen if the events of today continue to run their course into tomorrow. That's a pretty big if, and it suggests that time travel to the future always takes you to a future based on the events of the time you left, a logical extrapolation of what the future of that moment holds. Of course, the existence of free will allows for the possibility of infinite futures, which is what Doc says at the end of Back to the Future Part 3. Your future is whatever you make it. 
but time travel into the future takes you to the most likely future from the moment you left. Okay, I can accept most of that, yes. <laughs> I, I still believe that the second they disappear from 1985, they should enter 2015 where it's like, oh, Marty and Jennifer, we never heard no. from them again. They went off with old Doc Brown in a DeLorean. They say it flew. I, I think it's the case. I think... I think the time-space continuum takes intent into account. Intent. So you said, no, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. So you said yourself earlier, you said yourself earlier, determination versus destiny. I, that was Bill and Ted, that's not this. I, no, 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 okay, no, but I think to an extent it could apply to this. When Doc returns to, to 1985, he is determined to change the course of events and as far as he's concerned, it's going to happen. And sure enough, it does. Events do change. What it doesn't. And, and then after that, he would return Marty and uh, uh, Jennifer. That's her name. He would return Marty and Jennifer to 1985 and they would grow all together. What he doesn't take into account and what time doesn't take into account is Marty's free will when he buys the almanac and Biff's free will when Biff interferes. Right. And that is what causes um the problems with the time thing <laughs> you, you were so it, high it, until you got to the point where you said that is what causes the uh, problems with the okay it doesn't admittedly my theory doesn't work going forward but going <laughs> back so your whole your whole thing last week about marty at the end of back to the future time um, ah yes uh, three this would one, t- yeah you had an answer for that i did, I uh, did. Marty, and that uh, is, my, uh, let's remind everyone marty could not come back at the end of three uh, without there being another Marty there. Why is there not another Marty there? Because you have to take the act of time travelling into tra- in, into account. So Marty returns to a timeline where Marty has left the timeline. Indeed. But not As come has back Doc. Yet. As has Doc, but not come back yet. Just regardless, the people that travelled in time. So he, he comes back the morning that they... What happens when um, they come back, though? But they won't. They have just got back. <laughs> they come into a different timeline. They've just got back. No, it's, it's one timeline taking to it, yeah, everything into account. <laughs> so the Marty that left his driveway that morning, the when you know, was it like you, he gets back home and the four by four still in the garage yeah. and Biff still fussing about matchbooks and everyone. The Marty that left that is the Marty that has just returned, albeit with differences in the timeline around him. Yes. It's got to be the only explanation. I would rather have an explanation than be pedantic on this one. And that one I'll, I'll accept. <laughs> Thomas F. Wilson and Leia Thompson do very well in Crispin Glover's absence, adding even more layers of frustration and defeat to Paul Lorraine in Almanac 85 and a newfound murderous intent in the previously merely thuggish Biff. Old Biff also adds a cunning undercurrent to the character that was not there before, and Almanac Biff's almost casual decision to shoot Marty dead when he asks about the Almanac is given a complete circle when young Biff decides to run Marty down in the tunnel. A look of sinister excitement crosses his face that makes you wonder why Biff didn't go to war in Vietnam or Korea to vent this rather disturbing need to hurt people. This more tangible danger is then passed on to Buford Tannen in 1885, the looming, occasionally drooling spectre of very real death for first Doc and then Marty. Wilson subsequently went on to do stand-up. And here's a particularly fun song about questions he gets asked by fans. When I'm flying in a plane or I'm on the street, there's a lot of famous people that I like to meet. They shake my hand and never ask my name, and they start asking questions that are always the same. Hey, what's Michael J. Fox like? He's nice. What's Michael J. Fox like? 
Nice guy, what's Michael J. Fox like? He's an alien, stop asking me the question. to the bar mitzvah of my nephew Josh Now I'm not Jewish but I like to nosh Put on my yarmulke, started to pray When the rabbi leaned over and I heard him say Hey, was that real manure? No it wasn't Was that real manure? No, was that real manure? It's a movie, stop asking me the question Can we take your picture? Come on, look mean. Would you call my friend a butthead on his answering machine? Hey, questions, questions, just fill my head. I went to my doctor, my doctor said, Hey, what does a key grip do? Set up lights. What does the best boy do? Help the key grip. What does a producer do? I don't know. Stop asking me the question. Do you all hang out together? No, we don't. How's Crispin Glover? Never talk to him. Back to the future for not happening. Stop asking me the question. Hey, who's the nicest famous guy you know? Adam Sandler. Who is the biggest jerk? Gary Busey. How much money do you make more than you do? So stop asking me the question. Thanks a lot, everybody. In Almanac 1985, this is just an Easter egg. Three Ds, ah, that's the uh, henchman of Biff. His sunglasses, I didn't even notice this until I saw it in HD. His sunglasses are still red and green tinted. The fact that Terry refuses to do any more work for Biff after that first manure incident may have led Biff to go into auto detailing and mechanics himself, purely so someone would work on his car. Didn't think of that, I like that. <laughs> I got that off Wikipedia, it's from someone being very speculative, but it does make sense, it's kind of, you know, yeah. like uh, Biff sick to death of... of you know, having to haggle with labourers is like, you know, fuck it, I'll do it myself. And, oh, where I can get a business out of this. I should have said this last week, and I wish I had. When Marty does a duck walk in Johnny B. Good, he's inspired by Angus Young from ACDC, who was himself riffing on Chuck Berry, who at that point is on the phone to his cousin Marvin. Circle of life. Nice. <laughs> One final Easter egg. Doc has flying trains on his shirt. That same shirt ends up as his bandana in part three as well. Seriously? <laughs> yep. Well, yeah, they, they are, they are, they are got wings, but they appear to be zooming through the air. The yellow shirt that he wears, uh, it's after he comes back to alternate 85, Almanac. Oh, yes. And he wears it in the 50s after that as well. Nice. Another question. Uh, this is this was on the FAQs. What is the significance of the pair of backwards nines of fire left behind when the DeLorean is struck by lightning? It's done loop-de-loop. Yep, when the big bolt of lightning hits the DeLorean, it sends the flying vehicle spinning on its axis. As we already knew, the DeLorean leaves fire trails behind it when it travels through time. Since in this case the car was spinning, the fire trails are left behind as spirals instead of the usual straight lines left behind when the car is moving straight. Also, the sudden rotation of the DeLorean from the lightning hit accelerates it to 88 miles an hour when it spins, hence its sudden time travel. That's one thing Doc didn't consider in Back to the Future 3. We could spin the car incredibly fast and then (laughs) crash to our deaths in 1985.
there have been to date five Back to the Future related video games. Back to the Future 1 and also Back to the Future 2 and 3 as one game on the NES, Spectrum, Commodore 64 and Amstrad. Right, let's just uh, see how accurate games were back in those days to, uh, to the original films. On the NES, in a single-mode game, the player controls Marty McFly through various stages set in 1955, in which he collects various clock icons in order to advance to the next level and avoid the gradual vanishing of his future, indicated by a fading photograph at the bottom of the screen. If the photograph fades fully, Marty would lose a life as it would show him vanishing. Collect 100 clocks restores the photograph to its full unfaded status. Two power-ups can improve Marty's control, bowling balls can destroy enemies, and a skateboard can speed up gameplay. Mmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually sat here thinking about, I had on um, the Master System, uh, Back to Future 3, which I cannot remember what the first level consisted of. It was Doc think... trying to rescue Clara. Ah, uh, and then the third level, sorry, the second level was pie plate throwing. Yep. There was and also then a shooting the... gallery. And then there was the train. Yep. I don't, for the they don't get, make ones, games though. like that anymore, and it's a good thing. Now, the home computer version of Back to the Future 1 was completely different. It's a side-view arcade adventure. The aim of the game is to get George McFly to spend as much time as possible with Lorraine Baines. The more time George and Lorraine spend together, the more they will fall in love. At least that's more accurate. And yeah. thus, more segments will be added to the family photograph in the bottom right corner again. The photographs in the bottom right and left of the screen gradually disappear if the player does nothing, thus setting a time limit to the game. The player can find various objects to help him, such as love poems, a cup of coffee, alien suit, and a guitar. Okay, it falls down there. <laughs> he also has a skateboard to move around quickly. There was wow. also a Master System version of Back to the Future 2 and 3, a completely different SNES version of Back to the Future 2, where you basically bounced on enemies' heads with your hoverboard. Uh, it was very stylized and probably the best one that to look at. That was the Japanese one. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was only Japan. But uh, it's just a platformer. Uh, a Mega Drive and Master System version of Back to the Future 3. Uh, and then there was a GameCube rendition of Universal Studios Theme Park Adventure, which came many, many years later, which includes Back to the Future The Ride. I didn't know that. I, kn- I knew that. I knew about the Universal Studios game. I, I knew it was in. Oh, I knew about that one. Yeah, it's in I there. I didn't you, know that. You, you raced the DeLorean against yeah. Biff. Yep. So is it based on the ride? Because I, I, I remember the ride. I remember going to Universal. More on that Studios next week. On the ride. I <laughs> freaking loved it. Me too. More I can't believe they've replaced that with The Simpsons. Yep. More on that next week. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Universal Studios the Theme Park Adventure. It got three out of ten on IGN. So it must be a really good game. However, at least this is the only one which had a sort of semi-decent version of the Back to the Future theme in it. Until later. Yes. And this month's Telltale Games, the folks behind Tales of Monkey Island, launches the first of its episodic installments of a Back to the Future point-and-click adventure game series. Pre-ordering now. I'll be picking up the PS3 version for sure. Have you seen the trailer? Could you play the audio from the trailer, please? I will, yeah, yeah. let's, Let's listen to the trailer now. I'm telling you, this sale is a joke. Doc's only been gone for a few months, and I happen to know... Well, you know him better than I do, son. But the bank is within its rights to sell off his stuff. Uh, Doc, where are you? As you are well aware, time travel is an inherently risky activity. There's always a possibility that I could land in trouble sometime. You come to my rescue in the past. Or was it the future? Anyway, when you get there, I'm sure you'll figure out what to do. Good luck.
that's just worthy of a whole nother film. I just, I, it's well, it's the Back to the Future 4 that everybody wanted, isn't it? It is. James, hints in two that lead on to three. How many did you spot? Uh, let's see. Buford Tannen. Oh, yeah, they mention it in the, in the, in the Fifth Pleasure Tannen, Palace, yeah. Doc just mentioning, at the very start, like mentioning the, oh, my favourite time period, the Old West. Yep. Um, the, mentioning that he wants to take on, um, the world's biggest, uh, mystery, women. Women. Which, of course, uh, he, women. he becomes a cowboy who investigates women. Indeed, and and then just like the the you know, the, the time uh, display flicking to the date that he goes back to, oh. there was more. What else was there? Well, there's the trains on his shirt, as we've already mentioned. The trains on his shirt. There, there was specific ones. I can't remember what they are. Now I know busted weren't actually scientists, genealogists, or even accredited mathematicians, but in their song Year Three Thousand, they posit, riffing on Back to the Future, that they've been to the year three thousand. In the song, their neighbour Peter, who apparently got there first, informs them that their great 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 granddaughter is pretty fine. This is made more miraculous, considering that because singer-songwriter James Bourne was born in 1983, the poor girl would be around 866 years old, having been born at the latest 2144. What they probably meant to say was, great around 33 times, granddaughter. But it doesn't quite roll off the tongue, does it? Isn't there a line about really, three really, really that, reading too much of a busted song? Yes, I was. I mean, they were great, great, great singers. <laughs> really. Talented young boys, yes. Were they? We've got little pieces. <laughs> well, they do talk about three-breasted women in that one. Thank you. I'm glad it wasn't just me. I, I, come, I was trying to work out whether I was confusing Busted with Total Recall, but hey. Isn't it <laughs> a No, no, because Busted don't put a giant pole through someone's eye. More's the pity. They might still be going today if they did. Can we, we put a giant uh, pole uh, through their eye? <laughs> Available now on Rock Band. <laughs> <laughs> That is an awesome commercial. <laughs> we will be back for part three next week. Gentlemen, pimp your show. You can find us at www.gameburst.co.uk. We do a half an hour podcast every Sunday and Thursday. Sunday is our news episodes. Thursday is a roundtable or the monthly quiz. Um, it's a multi-format games podcast. We just have good fun. It's bite-sized, perfect for commuter journeys. Check us out. Neil, you have a radio show, don't you? I do. You can find me over at airwashsound.com. Just tune in between 1 and 4 o'clock on a weekday, and you'll hear me doing the afternoon show. That's my gig, so uh, yeah, find me there, airwashsound.com, between 1 and 4, Monday to Friday. You can also find him on uh, Airwash's website, at which point you can then message him on Google Chat and try to throw him off. And then there's the end. My daughter was like, what? Where, where, where's Top gone? And she's only two and a bit. And then Western Union turns up. I, I think the guy from Western Union is a little bit too aggressive to begin with. I've got something for you. Yeah. A but I think that's meant to be the kind of, it's, it's menacing, it's strange, we don't know who he is. Yeah. It's just, you know, Marty's on his own, and then all of a sudden this rough guy who looks like a gangster or something comes out yeah. of the car out of nowhere, and it's it's meant to be scary but what a brilliant way to end your movie to get to really give people a taster of the next movie i really want to know how this finishes and to give you a a real genuine understanding of the way that time works and it's just this this fourth dimensional idea that the second doc ceased to be in 1955 and popped into existence in 1885 this letter was sent on its way to marty and it finally reaches him just seconds afterwards it's just genius it's absolute genius and then you get and that. And just so typical of Doc, because you can imagine, you just know that that's what Doc would do. Yeah. 
it's also quite poignant because like, what's that like when you, when he gets back to 1985 at the end of Back to the Future Three mm. and he's wait and Doc is not around. Yeah, it's you know you you think well the letter came instantly so he's obviously not coming back. Yeah. And it makes you worry about Doc. The music, I know I'm a bit of a fan of my music. We did this on Star Wars. The music it, you know, genuinely does feel quite sad when, when he sees that Doc is gone and it starts raining, the pathetic fallacy and all that. It's, yeah. it's amazing. And then you get that, it's from the dark moment. And suddenly the music picks all the way back up oh, again. Oh, it's brilliant. It's, it's, it's that triumphant. Da, 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 da. And it's like, where was it? Do you need any help, kid? And he goes, there's only one man who can help me. And then you get the only scene that's in all three films, which yeah. is the doc from 1955 helping Marty go back to 1985. And then you get that wonderful run back, which you've already seen before. And then they just add to it. To the point where now, whenever I see Back to the Future One, I want Marty to come running out yeah. so we can like carry it on. But uh, and then she's got that. That whole section of of Marty coming back, and in fact everything from the um, cutting to the original footage from the first film, mm. seamlessly again. Seamlessly. I was like, did they reshoot? Why would they reshoot it? That whole thing has a whole different significance for me because it was the start of Back to the Future 3 and it, and that was my first intro to Back to the Future but I might leave that until next week if only to let you... Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> and then you get Doc's... what effectively eventually became Doc's catchphrase after he gets told I'm back from the future. He just says, Great Scott! To be concluded. 